guys. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today's going to be a great show with Greg Coons of High Desert Outfitters. And Greg is one of my mentors in the uh, sheep hunting world. He's helped me out uh, ever since I started. And um, he's someone that I'm able to call at any time and bend his ear. And he's always helped me with, uh, with all of the knowledge that I have for sheep hunting. He is responsible for most of it and uh, it's going to be a great episode to have him on here. He's going to specifically talk about the Cabeza Prieta uh, 46A East and West and 46B East and West as well as all the other units in the state. He's going to share his knowledge about uh, every unit as we go through them. Uh, Before we get to that I want to thank Uh, you guys, the listeners of this podcast, and I want to encourage you and ask you if you would, if you're a regular listener of this podcast, would you please go on iTunes and leave a review and leave, uh, you know, positive comments. And if you like the podcast, leave a five-star rating. Uh, That helps our placement with iTunes. And I just really appreciate you guys doing that for me. I get a lot of Uh, You can go on there and there's a lot of great uh, reviews of this podcast. Give a fair review. I'm I'm good with that. Uh, And I appreciate all your support. As always, you can send me an email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com if you want to talk, you know, sheep units, if you want to talk draws, if you want to talk, you know, optics, uh, fishing, hunting, whatever. If you've got questions, comments, uh, send me an email, jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can also follow along my Instagram page at jscottoutdoors, my Facebook page, jscottoutdoors. My YouTube channel is jscottoutdoors and Uh, Dark Colburn, my guiding partner, we have colburnandscottoutfitters.com. Also, my uh, personal website, jscottoutdoors.com. Guys, really appreciate your support. Thank you for giving me uh, good ratings on iTunes there. And also want to thank the sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com insider Lorenzo Sartini and his crew. Uh, The Go Hunt Insider is a phenomenal resource uh, tool and guide for any Western hunter researching all these different states. They have unbelievable uh, accuracy in their draw odds and their uh, strategy articles for which units to apply for and and, uh, in all the different Western states. You can use the J. Scott promo code and you're going to get a $50 Kuyu gift card when you sign up for Go Hunt Insider. Uh, Just go to Go Hunt. Uh, gohunt.com forward slash insider. Click on the blue join now button. Use the J. Scott promo code when signing up and you're going to get that $50 Kuyu gift card. Speaking of Kuyu, I want to thank Jason Harrison, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting for sponsoring this podcast. And I also wanted to tell you that the Kuyu Mobile Showroom and the Kuyu World Tour Uh, currently is in Portland, Oregon from June 1st through the 3rd, Seattle, Washington, June 8th through the 10th, Spokane, Washington, June 15th through the 17th, Missoula, Montana, June 22nd through the 24th, 
Boise, Idaho, Idaho Falls, Bozeman, Montana, Denver, Colorado, Colorado Springs, Omaha, Nebraska, Kansas City, Missouri, Oklahoma City, Dallas, Texas, Houston, Texas, Lubbock, Texas, and many more cities. You can go to my Instagram page and there's a full listing of uh, the Kuyu Mobile uh, showroom tour, as well as you can go to kuyu.com. Thanks to Jason Harrison uh, for coming up with this Kuyu mobile showroom idea. You can try on any of the Kuyu gear, the packs, uh, the boots, uh, the you know the merino wool shirts, the synthetic shirts, the you know the super down jackets. Uh, you can touch it, feel it, and uh, get a sense of what size you are. And um, check out where they're going to be uh, all through the summer. And this fall, you can go and uh, they're, they're going to have clinics. They're going to have, you know, experts on site. Uh, but most of all, you get to try on. You can order and you're going to get a discounted rate if you order uh, at these uh, mobile showrooms. Uh, so uh, thanks to Jason Harrison and, and uh, Kuyu.com. I uh, also want to thank Cheston Davis with Phonescope.com. You get a 10% discount if you use the JScott16 promo code when ordering any product at Phonescope.com. And I want to finish by thanking Cody Nelson at The Outdoorsman's uh, and 1-800-291-8065. If you go online and order anything and use the JScott uh, promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount as well as over the phone. Uh, and Cody is the optics authority. All his guys there at the Outdoorsman's, they do such a phenomenal job with uh, their, their uh, lightweight tripods and backpacks and, and um, spotting scopes and binoculars. They're just the authority on optics. So give them a ring. Guys, let's get right to this episode. If you have any questions at all, uh, as far as putting in for Arizona, the deadline's coming up here soon for sheep and for deer. Uh, feel free to shoot me an email or a message on Instagram, and I will try and get you the answer as quick as possible. Let's get right to it. Thank you. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today, I'm excited to have my friend Greg Coons on the line. Greg, how you doing? Doing pretty good, Jay, and yourself? Oh, doing great. Uh, for the listeners out there, uh, Greg, I've known you for a long time now, and uh, you've been one of those guys, uh, especially in sheep hunting, that has been an ear for me to uh, bend your ear since I, you know, first start, went on my first sheep hunt in 2009 with Glen Hall and 44B North. Uh, you've always been a guy that I could call and um, bounce things off of and and um, you know I, I consider you a mentor of mine in the sheep hunting world and you've always been an open door and I've always appreciated that about you um, and have always admired uh, how much experience you have with with sheep uh, of all kinds and you've had your own personal tags and shot big giant rams and you've done a great job for your clients over the years but I just want to tell you publicly that uh, you are definitely one of the guys that has always been you know kind of open arm open door to me and uh i value that very much well thank you uh you know i got no secrets to hide from anybody if they you know a lot of these guys don't want to help new guides coming in to to learn stuff thinking that they're going to be taking clients from or whatever but you know, I've always tried to help you and uh, give you the best information that I can, and uh, I think you've done extremely well with it, 
and have taken it things to the next level and uh, do extremely well for your clients. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Before we get into all the sheep stuff, Greg, um, you're a general contractor uh, in uh, Arizona, and um, I, w- I want to ask you a few questions about your business. Um, you you do a lot of commercial work. You do a lot of residential work. Can you shed some light on your general contracting business? Yeah, we do uh, mainly do residential remodels and additions, uh, a few custom homes, but uh, lately we've gotten more into the commercial side, commercial TIs. Uh, we do a fair amount of cellular work through another friend of mine contractor uh high desert communications uh i usually do the the buildings to house the equipment underneath the towers for them all across the state uh, i've been doing that with them since 97 but my my bread and butter and what really keeps me going is the residential remodels and uh, i've been a licensed contractor since 97 uh probably do 75 percent residential work versus 25% commercial, but uh, it's been good. Can't complain. And I know that um, in in your travels with your uh, contracting business, um, you know, you're anywhere from, you know, Prescott to Payson to, you know, Sholo to Phoenix to, you know, all over the Metro Phoenix area. And you're doing, you know, self cell towers here and cell towers there. And com- I know you've done commercial buildings and projects and in uh, all over Arizona. Um, with with the bread and butter being a residential remodel, like in the past, say, 10 years, or let's let's break it down and maybe say the last five years, have you seen uh, maybe since the market really took a crash in, say, 08, 09, um, did you see the residential remodel business really, really pick up, say, in the last five years? Oh, it has just gone off the charts. Uh it's it's been unbelievable for us and we stayed busy even through the downturns you know we were slower than we had been but uh we made it through and and uh things have really picked up the last five years and it's hard to keep up right now it's uh there's there's everybody's busy it's hard to to find good help it's hard to find subcontractors uh it's just booming right now so if you're not busy now, you're never going to be. <laughs> Find a new profession. Um, exactly. <laughs> Greg, I would ask you, um, you know, with these, with 75% of the, your business being these residential remodels, um, you know, give me an example. I mean, are we talking every, everything from room additions to, you know, just um, new kitchens and, 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 and what have you? Can, you? can you elaborate a little bit on, you know, everyday life for, for you in the construction business? Yeah, we, we, I mean, we do a, a lot of uh, additions, uh, you know, adding a bedroom, adding an office, enclosing a carport, uh, that sort of thing. But then we also do a lot of kitchens, bathroom remodels, uh, whole house remodels. So, you know, where we'll just take and the people will move out. And we'll go in and just remodel the whole house, tear out walls, put new walls in, all new flooring throughout, paint complete, uh, the kitchen, the baths, everything. So, uh, you know, we've run the gauntlet on on doing everything. And I'm on the job every day working with my tools. And that's why I got into construction. I really enjoy that part of it. 
I I dislike the paperwork end of it, so I usually drag my feet a little bit on that. But for the most part, it's been a good profession. Um, I really enjoy being able, at the end of the day, to stand back and, and look at your project and say, you know, we got a lot done today, and it looks really nice. So it's been good for us. How much of your business, I mean, I, I know you're a real people person uh, and you're one of those guys that, you know, you take pride in your work, but how much of your business is, you know, being able to really communicate with your customer and, um, you know, understand exactly what they're looking for? And sometimes I know with, with people it's probably harder than others, but how much is communication, how much does communication play in being a you know having a successful business like you do oh, I think communication is extremely important uh, you know and one thing that I that has worked very well for me is you know I sell the job so when my customers when we talk with the customer and they tell me we want to do this we want to do that I'm on the job every day so there's nothing lost between a salesman that sells the job to conveying to the employees or subcontractors, you know, this is what they want to do. And then you never see that salesman again. You know, I'm on the job. I've had the conversations with them. I know what was said, what I said I would do, and always try to go 110% and do do over and above even what I say I'm going to do. You know, we work really hard and, and take a lot of pride in our work, uh, to do it right the first time, there's no money in coming back and fixing something. So let's do it right the first time and be done. Yeah, and um, that's one thing I, you know, um, I know you've done a lot of work for Dar, and you've done work for um, my dad. He does a lot of uh, property management. You've done stuff for him, and and um, uh, you know your reputation is 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 great. And uh, you know one thing that you just said there that kind of you know, I thought there was a parallel in the outfitting business because your your outfitting business, you also, quote unquote, sell the hunts, book the hunts, talk to the hunters, but then you're also there on the hunt. I feel like in this day and age with all of the advances in technology and all the different things that, that, that we have going for us that are a positive, I think sometimes there's a little bit of that, um, you know, from the person that's booked the hunt you know, sold the hunt, going on the hunt. Uh, I feel like today with all the advancements in technology, we've kind of lost some of that in some of the booking agencies and some of the different things. And um, can you speak with that being a long time guide, you know, what, over 30 years or more, um, you know, that communication factor and how important it is from the initial call when someone draws a sheep tag or, you know, or any of the other hunts that you do from that point when you talk to them to all the way through the hunt, executing the hunt and what have you, how important that is to you and your business. Yeah, that, that's huge. You know, uh, I, I'd say the biggest thing is to be honest with your, your clients. Tell them exactly what the unit can produce that they've drawn. Not all units produce 180-inch rams. Everybody wants to kill a 180-inch ram, but... They're not available in every unit. So just be honest with your client and telling them what the unit typically produces. You know, we're going to hunt hard and look for a better ram, but this is 
what the average is or what the uh, unit typically produces, the history of the unit. And, you know, if we do better than that, then we did very well. But don't be disappointed if we harvest a so-called average RAM for the unit, you know, which may be a 160 RAM, might be a, a 165 RAM or a 170 RAM. But we'll always look and hunt hard and scout hard for a better RAM, but giant RAMs aren't available in every unit. I think that's a very, very good point. I think a lot of times people have expectations that are out of whack and they've, you know, maybe seen a a few too many, um, you know, headlines and, and, and don't realize how difficult it can be to find those great rams. I want to, I want to, um, dive into, you are known for, um, you know, bighorn sheep, uh, you, I call you Mr. Cabeza Prieta. Today we're going to specifically talk about, you know, units 46A and 46B, um, both the, the, the east and the west sides of each of those units. Um, but you have extensive knowledge pretty much on a lot of units in the state of Arizona. I was just wondering if you could kind of give a little bit of a background on the initial love that you took on for sheep and, and kind of um, how that all started and then, you know, your guiding and, and what have you and how old you were and kind of from the beginnings to give kind of an understanding um, to not only to me, but to the people listening of your extensive background in sheep hunting, not only in Arizona, but, you know, a- other places as well where you've gone and shot your own personal rams. Yeah. Well, uh, my father was very instrumental in getting me interested in the sheep. Uh, he was a, a charter member of the Arizona Desert Bighorn Sheep Society, and he killed his personal ram in the Plumosas in 62, uh, helped several of his friends kill rams there in the early 60s, and just really held the sheep up on a pedestal compared to the other animals, that that was a, a very prestigious opportunity to be able to hunt those animals uh, in their natural mountains there. And, and I drew my personal tag in 1977 when I was 18 years old and killed a ram in the Plumosas. That's uh, a 159 ram. It's not a great big ram. Uh, knowing now, I wouldn't have shot that ram. But we didn't have the optics, the knowledge, Tripods were just coming into being used. Uh, you know, optics, we hunted a lot different back then. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy with my ram, but it's not a ram that I would harvest today if I had a tag for myself. So I didn't really mess around with sheep then after I killed my ram till about 1982. I found a pickup head uh, while I was varmint calling in southern Arizona that is uh, just over 200 inches. It's the number two desert sheep in the world. And all the persona that came with that and notoriety that came with that uh, really got me interested back in spending some time with the sheep. And I ended up getting divorced in 1985, so I didn't have anything holding me to not be able to go spend the month of December and hunt sheep. So I got hooked up with a, with a 
a guy that is very well known in the Arizona sheep stuff, uh, Mike Mel, and said, Mike, you know, I just want to learn how to hunt sheep better. I'll do whatever you need me to do. Don't pay me. I'll go for free. I'll buy my own fuel. Just feed me. Tell me what you want me to do. Go to town, get groceries. Go look at this stuff, whatever. I'll do whatever you need done. I just want to learn. And I've always been like a sponge when I'm around people that I think I can learn something from. I just kind of stand back and, and listen and absorb everything that they're saying and just try to file that all away and, and pick out pieces of that that I can use. And it's worked very well. And Mike, Mike, I think, is one of the best sheep hunters in the state of Arizona, uh, just a super, super good sheep hunter. Doesn't do a whole lot now, but uh, can't say enough about Mike. But he, I did that with him about four or five years and then started High Desert Outfitters and uh, have done fairly well. I, I was got referred from some taxidermists and stuff. that, uh, And the Cabezas is where I kind of started down there. Uh, my first guided hunt was in uh, 46B. And I think then the season was only 15 days. And I think we killed a ram on the 13th day. Uh, we struggled a little bit, but the, there was sheep population wasn't what it is now back then. So there was fewer sheep, uh, although we did have access. There was no wilderness. We could drive wherever we wanted, uh, use, utilize any of the roads. So that was a big plus back then. But uh, And then it's just kind of grown, and I've, I've pretty much I've guided probably in 75% of the units that have sheep in them in Arizona. I've killed 60, been responsible for 69 rams in the state. Um, you know, we've killed some, some big rams and we've killed some not so big rams, but they're all trophies in my opinion and uh, always try to kill an older, mature ram. Uh, we've killed some rams that we didn't think would make it through the next summer. You know, and then we've, we've taken some younger rams that were, were great big too, but... Uh, uh, sheep are just kind of a special species to me, and I really, really enjoy hunting them and, and kind of like my dad, hold them up on a, a pedestal higher than, than the other animals in the state. And I don't know if that's right or wrong, but they sure have a special place in my heart, and uh, it's been a, been a fantastic experience for me. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, back in '09 when Glenn Hall drew his tag, I mean, I think you were the first person that I called, and, and like, I, like I had said earlier, um, and the listeners can tell just by, you know, hearing it in your voice, the passion you have for it, I mean, was infectious to me. And, you, you know, I was going down and scouting and I was calling you, telling you, reporting in what I had been seeing. And, you know, there was no part of it that was like, you know, you trying to not help me in any way. You were telling me everything you knew about field judging. I mean, I was like a little, you know, nuisance just going, well, what about this? What about that? What about, you know, and, and trying to soak up all that I could. And so it's fun to hear you talk about um, the, you know, the guys that you soaked it up from. And then it's also great to see you giving that same bit back to me and lots of other people I know that you've helped over the years. Um, before we dive totally into the Arizona stuff, I know uh, years ago you drew a New Mexico 
or, or maybe you won the hunt. Maybe you can tell me about that. I, for, I forget the whole story, but you killed a giant ram uh, over in New Mexico. And I want to say at the time it was the state record or tied the state record. Correct, um, yeah. t- t- tell me how that went down. And I remember it being a pretty neat story. Yeah, we had, uh, uh, I had, I had harvested three of the, of the Grand Slam, my, my desert, which I killed in 77, my stone, and I killed in British Columbia in uh, 2001, and then my doll I killed in 2002 in Alaska. So I needed a Rocky to complete my, uh, my Grand Slam. And being just a regular working guy, didn't see how I could afford to do that. You know, I'd been going to the, at that time was the uh, uh, Wild Sheep Foundation, conventions and just knew that you know i wanted to try to complete my slam i just didn't know how i was going to do it arizona was just getting started with their their rockies so i figured i'd just wait till i drew a tag here which i still haven't drawn a tag but uh, my wife bought me some raffle tickets for the new mexico finaz uh raffle and always previously the auction hunter that purchased the, the tag at auction had his choice of either Rockies or deserts. And then uh, the raffle hunter had to hunt the other one. You both couldn't hunt the same species. And in 2003, they had changed that. And my wife bought me $200 worth of raffle tickets and put them in a Father's Day card and gave that to me on Father's Day which is, what, middle of June. Yeah. And um, I'm thinking, well, that was kind of a waste of 200 bucks. But, you know, <laughs> I, I, she said, I wish I could afford to buy you uh, a Rocky hunt, but I can't. This is the best I can do. So good luck. And uh, so we kind of, I'd kind of put it on the back burner, wasn't even thinking about it, and had gone to work. And my wife got home before I did, and uh, she calls me. I mean, I remember the job I was working on over in Scottsdale, everything. And uh, she says, I don't know if this is anything, but somebody left a message on the recorder from New Mexico. You're supposed to call him, Kent Sauer. It was the guy's name. Uh, I want you to call him, and you better call me right back after you talk to him. <laughs> so I'm thinking, why the hell is Kent calling me? You know? so <laughs> I call Kent, and I'm talking to him, and He's like, hey, I was at the down at the raffle drawing today, and uh, I was talking to Eric Romager, who's one of the biologists for New Mexico, and uh, he said your name came up, and and he told me you have that big pickup head from Arizona that's over 200 inches, and he just goes on and on and on about this pickup head, and I'm like, you didn't call me to talk about this pickup head, you know, that I'd found, so he says, well. You know, like I said, I was down at the at the raffle today, and uh, your name was drawn. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, you why know, don't you start with that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? Uh, but, I mean, like I said, he went 10, 15 minutes talking about my pickup head and asking me questions and this and that. And um, I was just floored when he told me that I had drawn that tag. So I'm thinking, okay, so now it's the end of, end of June. And season starts the first of September. I've never stepped foot over there in the unit. Uh, obviously, I wanted to hunt Rockies. The the auction hunter had purchased the tag at auction off of a 
photograph that Eric Rominger had taken on the winter range of a ram at Wheeler Peak that they thought was 190 plus. And um, so there was no, there wasn't even an option for me. I was going to hunt Wheeler Peak. That's what I wanted to hunt because that's where the biggest rock, they were, they were killing the biggest Rockies in the state of New Mexico at that time. So mid-July, I made a scouting trip over there. Uh, Jason Sherwood and I made a trip over, spent three days, and rented a car, just kind of drove around, looked at the country. Uh, in Taos Ski Valley, you can, there's a guy that does horse trips up to the top of Wheeler Peak. So we uh, got one of those deals and, and uh, jumped on a horse and, and rode to the top of Wheeler, saw a fair number of sheep, Next day, we hiked into a place called, uh, God, I can't think of the name of the lake now. But anyway, right out of the ski valley there, walked up there, saw some more rams. And then I made another trip back about uh, two weeks later with my cousin and hired a guy out of Taos to pack us into a, a mountain called Viacitos Mountain, which all the big rams, the book rams, had all been killed on or around this mountain. And the only access was this horse trail uh, across some private property to get access there. So we packed in there for three days, and I found the ram that I wanted to kill, videoed him, got quite a bit of video from him, and told the landowner that, whose private property we had to cross that I'll be back on uh, August 27th. There'll be three guys with me, your neighbor's packing me in, you know, and told him everything else, and he says, well, you know, it's going to be $500 to cross my property. So I said, okay, whatever it is, you know, that's that's where I need to go. So on the night of August 25th, I got home from work, which is my daughter's birthday. We had a party scheduled for her, and there's a message on the recorder. This is Bolivar Quintana that uh, I'm the landowner over here in New Mexico. I need you to call me as soon as possible. So I call him, and he says, uh, the auction hunter, well, that year they cha they had changed the rule to where you could both hunt the same species of sheep. So we were both hunting the Rocky Mountain species and both hunting Wheeler Peak unit. So uh, Bolivar tells me that uh, the auction hunter has paid for exclusive access rights that I cannot cross his property. So we proceeded oh, to have a pretty late lengthy and heated discussion um, and the outcome was that uh, I told him when I was there scouting and I talked to him I said you carry a notepad in your shirt pocket and you wrote down the date that I was coming back who was coming with me and their names and that you were going to charge me $500 to cross your property and he says well I'm a man of my word, and if I told you you can cross for $500, then you can cross for $500. I said, okay, you need to call Mick Chappell, who was guiding the auction hunter, and let him know that, and then you call me back. So he calls me back about 10 minutes later and proceeds to tell me, you're not crossing my property. <laughs> oh, boy. So they offered him more money, and... Uh, he decided to go that route and, and not let me cross. Well, I'm pretty determined, and I researched helicopters. I researched access agreements through the Forest Service with the game department, anybody having any way to get across that property, and nobody did. 
So the guy that I had ridden the horses with out of Towski Valley, he is also an outfitter out of there and had watched those sheep grow since they'd planted them there and really had an interest in them and didn't have much of an interest in McChapel. <laughs> <laughs> so he says, I'll help you however I can, <laughs> whatever we can do. And we were able to get some access across some property that uh, not everybody can do. And it didn't get me where I needed to be at that time, but I could sit there and two miles away, I could look at that ram on that mountain and I watched him for three days over there. And then we put on our backpacks and packed in there. And uh, we ended up getting in there and I was late getting there that morning after daylight. And the rams were in the five to 600 yard range and I don't typically shoot that far. So we just started, it was a big open bowl rock slide. Just started going rock to rock when the rams had their heads down feeding. And one ram had picked his head up and was looking around and we stopped and we're waiting for him to go back to feeding. And I said, okay, he went back to feeding, let's go. And Chuck, my partner says, the other hunter's here. And I said, what? And he said, the other hunter just came over the top. They're on the skyline. The gun is on the ground. They're just looking to, through their binoculars. So I said, well, we need to kill a sheep then. And we were there we were about 350 yards, which I felt comfortable with. And uh, got into my sling, got rested on a boulder there, and waited for the ram to come clear and, and shot him. And uh, all those rams, the three rams grouped up and made a little... 30, 40 yard run and uh, stopped with the big ram in the middle. And then the, the top ram took a couple steps up, bottom ram took a couple steps forward, which left me a perfect shot. And I shot it, shot again. And the ram went down and started rolling down the mountain. And then the obscenity started <laughs> from the top of the mountain that I just killed their ram. And, uh, you know, Chuck and I, we were just ecstatic, high fiving and just couldn't believe our good luck there and and um for 15 minutes those guys just proceeded to have nothing good to say about us but um it was pretty exciting it took me two days to pack that ram off the mountain um and at the time it was the state record when i killed it uh mick chapel's wife had killed the state record the year prior that was right at 195 and my ram ended up being 195 and a quarter official and um, I'd also heard that that there was a $20,000 bonus to Mick if they killed a ram over 190 inches and they ended up shooting a ram that was 178 uh, older ram 11 year old ram beautiful ram but uh, Mick didn't get his, his bonus, and uh, I broke his wife's state record, so <laughs> I didn't get a Christmas card from him that year. <laughs> yeah, you probably still don't. Um, well, that, yeah. <laughs> that's an incredible story. Um, I remember hearing it pretty close to when it happened, and it, it's it's exactly the same story I heard back then, and it's, it's, it's one of my favorite stories, and um, it just shows, you know, determination and... and um, you know, hard work pays off, and, and I've seen that ram. It's a beautiful ram, and um, just happy that you got it, and I wanted you to share that story. It's it's always one of my favorites. Um, 
I, I want to talk specifically about 46A and 46B. Um, you mentioned that you had shot your RAM uh, in the Plumosas, which is uh, 44B North, um, and that uh, one of the first guided hunts you did was in uh, the Cabeza Prieta. Um, let's start out by telling the listeners, um, you know, obviously now 46 is, you know, 46B, 46A, they've now split the units into East and West. Um, you started hunting those units when it was just unit 46A and just unit 46B. Um, explain a little bit about the background of the Cabeza Prieta. Do they consider just 46B East and West the Cabeza Prieta, or do they also consider 46A uh, East and West the Cabeza Prieta? And just talk a little bit in general about you know historical and and some some of the distinguishing factors between um, those those units. Well, the both 46A and 46B are the Cabeza Prieta Wildlife Refuge. Uh, it's one of the largest refuges in the United States. It was originally designed for the desert bighorn sheep and the Sonoran pronghorn antelope. And the, it was set up by the Boy Scouts were the ones that originally pushed to get that established. And I'm going to say it was back in the 30s when that was established. Uh, in the 50s, they did quite a quite extensive amount of water developments in there to help promote the sheep and give them more water and try to help that herd grow a little bit. Those are uh, very arid mountains. They receive four or five inches of rain annually. Uh, there's really not much there for them to feed on other than rocks. Uh, and that's probably one of the limiting factors on age is because everything they eat has so much dirt and dust on it, it wears their teeth out. Uh, so you typically don't see a super old ram, 13, 14 years old, because they don't live that long there, because their teeth fail them. Um, but it was uh, in, uh, I think, the early 90s was developed or designated as wilderness. Uh, there was a fair number of roads and a pretty good road structure for access throughout both sides of the refuge. A little bit of mining activity had taken place. Um, and, and plus roads into those waters. So it was easy to get around in the late 80s, early 90s. Once it went to wilderness, the only road that they left accessible is the Camino del Diablo, which crosses the southern portion of 46B going east uh, to Tule Well, and that's maybe four miles north of the Mexican border, and continues east to Papago Well, which is in 46A at the north end of the Awadolces, and then kind of loops around and goes into uh, the Oregon Pipe National Monument, and then back out to Highway 85 just south of Ajo. Uh, and then there was a road that went from Tule Well north to Interstate 8, which they call uh, the Papago Road. It goes to the west side of the Sierra Pintas in 46B, north, like I said, all the way up to Interstate 8. So those are the only three roads, two roads, I guess, that you could drive in the unit, even currently even. Um, 
none of the roads go to a mountain. So at the north end of the Pintas, that's probably the closest area that you get into the road gets to a mountain. And it's you can glass from the road, so it's a half mile probably at the at the closest point. And there's a couple points on the Camino that get real close to mountains also. But for the most part, it's four, five-mile walk across the desert floor just to get to the base of the mountain. So the access in the west side, 46B west, is really difficult. 46A, you have the Camino that crosses the lower end, which would be the north side of the Oadolfis, south side of the Growler Mountains. And then there's also a road that comes from the north side of Ajo, uh, right below Ajo, or not Ajo, Child's Mountain, which has some uh, military, there's a big round ball up there that has a lot of military stuff on it. And um, you can access to the top of that and continue west towards the Growler Mountains and go through to Growler, or not Growler Pass, um, Charlie Bell Pass. And, and then there's also a road that is open only to the sheep hunters that goes south on the east side of the Growlers uh, down to what they call Lower Well and on around out through Chico Shuni and back out ties into that Camino north of the um, Oregon Pipe National Monument. So the road structure that you're allowed to drive is extremely limited. And they're all unimproved roads all you know, high clearance, four wheel drive necessary. Um, it, it's really tough to access some of that country. Okay, Greg. Um, just to clarify a few things, you've got 46A East and 46A West, and then you've got 46B uh, East and 46B West. The mountain range themselves that are in 46A are the Growlers. And Child's Mountain. And is that in west or east? That's in east. Okay, so the Growlers yeah, so and, and Child's Mountain. Correct. Yes. Okay. And then the mountain range in 46A West is called what? The Alwadolces, which is right on the Mexican border. Uh, it's in between the Mexican border and the Camino del Diablo. And then way to the north is the granite mountains and they come off of the Barry Goldwater gunnery range you can about half of them are on the Cabeza Prieta but there is no road access at all uh, the closest access is probably at Charlie Bell Pass and it's 12 to 14 miles across the desert floor to the south end of the growler or uh, granites. Okay. You can also come from the uh, Camino del Diablo at the north end of the Oadolces and come north, and it's 14 to 15 miles to the south end of the granites. So it's an extremely difficult mountain range to access. There is there's only one water, permanent water there, and I don't think it is holding water at this time. So. As far as anybody knows, there's no permanent water on the granites, but there are sheep there that live there year-round. Okay. And then 46B East and 46B West, what are the mountains in those units? 
46B East is uh, mainly, there's actually three ranges in there. The Sierra Pintas, which runs, is the primary range, runs north and south uh, from the north end of the Cabeza to the south end of the Cabeza. The further south you go on the Papago Road, the further it gets from the Pintas. The Pintas kind of run uh, northwest, southeast, and the Papago run, Road runs basically north and south. So the further south you go, the mountains are going away from you. And then uh, the south end of the Mohawks run into the Cabeza. There's two or three miles of the Mohawks there that uh, you can also hunt. And then uh, the Bryan Mountains, which is just a little range of hills. It's hard to call them mountains. Uh, no road access whatsoever. Extremely difficult to get to. And I don't know of any rams being killed in the in the Bryans. But then uh, 46B West has the uh, Cabeza Prieta mountain range, and then it also has the Thule Mountains, which are also right on the Mexican border between the Camino del Diablo and the Mexican border. And they continue to run on into Mexico, so we just have the northern tip of them into uh, into Arizona or into the Cabeza. And that also forms the Penacate Range down in, in Mexico. Okay, and the Camino de Diablo, I mean, that's the road of the devil, right? In Spanish? Correct. And I don't think they Correct. call, I don't think they call, I, I think they specifically call it that for a reason, right? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> uh, you know, that's the conquistadors come across there. There are still marked graves, grave sites all along that. Um, it's a very, very well-known uh access point that used to go across the southern portion of Arizona there. Okay. And it's known 46A uh, and 46B is known for quite a bit of illegal alien traffic, you know, drug running, a lot of a lot of stuff going on right there. Can you speak to that with your experience? Well, it's, it's uh, definitely going on in there. Uh, it's something that you need to be very aware of uh, and and you know be aware of your surroundings what's going on uh, and just most of them are just afraid of you as you are of them they don't want the confrontation so they're trying to stay out of your way also so you just need to be aware of it and and be conscious and pay attention to your surroundings yeah, I think that's good advice. There's a big border patrol presence in both units, correct? Very much so. Very much so, yes. Okay. Um, you know, one thing about it, there have been some very big rams harvested on the Cabeza Prieta, both in 46A and, uh, excuse me, 46 and A and 46B. What can you tell me about some of those historical rams? I know you have ties to some of them. Well, the um, 46A's probably produced eight or ten rams over 180 inches. Uh, Marvin James, 1997, killed the biggest ram killed out of, of uh, 46A. It was 187 inches, uh, giant ram, and saw a bigger ram the day before. But how do you pass up a 187-inch ram to go look for a 189-inch ram? You know, so 
he did the right thing in shooting the ram that he did. Um, but uh, the quality has kind of dropped a little bit. It seems to be coming back. They're killing some some pretty nice rams in the growlers uh, in the in the low to mid 70s. Haven't broken 80 for quite a few years, but it will happen again. And then before they split the unit, when it was just 46A, 95% of the people concentrated in the growlers because that was the easiest range to get to. With it being split uh, last year with two hunters and 46A West, they both killed giant rams, uh, a ram in Alba Dulce's that was 176, and that gentleman saw a better ram than that. Uh, the guy in the, that hunted the granites with an outfitter, uh, they killed a ram right about 170 and saw other rams of that same caliber. So both of those units have the potential to kill a 170-plus ram. Access is definitely an issue. Now, over on 46B, the largest ram ever killed in the unit was Gary Farrier in uh, late 70s, I believe, uh, 185 inch ram that um, the best ram killed there in recent years we we took a ram in uh, 98 that was 178 inches that we had guided for but uh, that's the biggest ram killed there since farrier's ram they uh, a couple years ago matt cutlip killed a big ram in 46b west that um high high to mid 170s um, great ram great ram and uh last year the pintas nobody had hunted the pintas because the cabeza prieta mountains were easier to get to so now that they're forcing someone to hunt that four hunters to hunt that uh last year they killed a, a low 70s ram over there which is outstanding i think that's the exception for that unit i think more realistic would be uh low to mid 160s for 46b east but uh still a, a wonderful opportunity there to harvest some beautiful animals talking about 46b uh east and west when you talk about those two units um you know when it was just 46b where was most of the hunter concentration compared with, you know, you, you talk about them splitting it now and it forces guys to hunt other ranges. Um, you know, where I, I believe there were eight tags, six to eight tags for quite a while in 46B. Where, where were most of those rams harvested? Yeah, there were seven tags was the most that's been there. Um, and they were, majority of those rams were killed in the Cabeza Prieta Mountains. So when you take seven rams for, you know, five, six, seven years, that's a lot of sheep to be taken out of that. It really hurts your older age class rams. Uh, so by them splitting that, I think that's really going to help 46B West because now they're only taking four rams out of there. They're also having four hunters hunt the Sierra Pintas and the Mohawks and the Bryans, so you know it, it's it split up the pressure quite a bit. I think the further we go with that being split, the better rams we're going to see in 46B West. 
you know, I think that's just really going to help the age class of Rams, let some Rams get some age on them. And uh, I think it's really going to be a plus for us. The characteristics of those sheep uh, in those units, um, they've got a real orange-colored horn. Uh, what makes that, that horn that color? That's uh, caused by the elephant bush, and it's only found in the lower deserts. It's it's pretty much exclusively south of Interstate 8. Um, they get underneath it, and they eat that elephant bush, and those rams also get in there and, and rake their tree like an elk would or whatever to where uh, that sap, it breaks those branches off and that sap gets on those horns and uh, it's a very pungent odor and it it stains everything red even when you walk through it and you get the sap on your pants. It's like a, a red stripe from the sap in there. So it's, uh, it's kind of unique just to pretty much that region and into Mexico as those rams having that. So it's pretty unique. I'm looking at the um, checkout sheet last year from the Arizona Game and Fish Department, and we'll just start with uh, 46A East. And one thing that I do want to point out is, you know, last year, like you said, they shot two Rams, a 173 and a 171. I'm just talking rough numbers, an eight and a nine-year-old Ram. The 173 Ram was a 38 and 6 eighths, 35 and 7, uh, with with 15 and 3 and 15 and 4 on his bases. And the 171 inch Ram was, you know, 35 and 5 eighths and 36, with 15 and 2 eighths inch bases. Um, you know, those are those are very very nice Rams. Are those kind of out of the? Are they a little abnormal for? I mean that unit i mean i wouldn't it seems like that though, that's pretty so. good numbers for normal yeah i think that that's uh uh pretty well can be expected you know if a guy hunts hard puts in some effort does some scouting uh not afraid to walk then that's a definite possibility to kill you know a, a 170 low 170 type ram out of there okay and, and with the with the chance of maybe doing better and I'm looking at my sheet here where I broke down the odds. That's There's two tags in 46A East, and it's basically a 1 and 45, 45 and a half. So 1 and 45 and a half shot at drawing there. Now, with it being two tags, um, all of these units, 46A East, West, 46B East, uh, 46B West, uh, they are all open to non-residents. Um but in your experience, these are definitely, compared to a lot of units in Arizona, these specific units are, in your mind, it's very important that, that you consider hiring an outfitter. Would you agree? Definitely. Access is, is a huge issue. Uh, you know, most of these units, of the four units, they don't have a road that goes to the mountain. Uh, so you have a big walk across the desert floor every day, and you know that that's fine for a week or so, but then you start to wear yourself down when you're traveling, you know, six to eight miles a day just to get to the mountain and back out without even hunting. Uh, it really takes its toll on you. 
So you either need to backpack and stay in there, which packing water becomes a major issue. That's your biggest weight you're going to incur. Uh, you can't carry enough water with you to, even if you, you know, you would have to do some, uh, when you're scouting or, or pre-season work, you would have to be packing water and stashing water so that you have points that you can go and know that you have water there. But um, And even with that, you have to kind of worry that, that, you know, the illegals don't find your stashes, too. Ha- hasn't been found, exactly, correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 46A West, I'm looking at the Rams. They, they shot a 176, and it looks like a 168-type Ram. And they were 36 and 37 with 15 and 4 in bases on the 1. And then 35 and 2 and 34 and an 8 um, with 14 and 5 inch, 14 and 5 eighths inch bases. Um, that's in that's in 46A West. So that is in the Agua Dulces and the Granites, correct? Correct. Yes. And of and the, that, go ahead. That, go ahead. Of the two units, 46A West and East. You think that 46A West is is a little bit better than 46A East as far as quality? No, I would think East would be better. Okay. Um, typically, historically, the Alwadolces and the Granites, which there's only been a handful of rams killed out of the Granites, um, just because of the access issues. But the Alwadolces they typically produced a much smaller ram. I'm going to say low to mid-150s type of sheep. There's only uh, two rams in the book that I know of from the Alwadolces that have scored over 168. Um, we killed a ram there, with, or I did with Mike Mel, that was 172 back in the late 80s. And then in the mid-90s, Carl Plaster from Nutrioso had killed a ram uh, that was right at 168. But those are the only two rams that I have known prior to this this past year that made book from the Alwadulces. Like I said, they typically had a real tight-curled ram uh, there. It's a relatively short horn, but good mass. Okay. And then as we move over to 46B East and 46B West, um, is there just a lot more country to hunt in those units, or is there just a lot more sheep? Meaning, you go from uh, you know two tags in 46A East and two tags in 46A West, uh, and then you you double that and you go to you know four tags in in B East and B West. Um, more sheep or more country, or what's the what's the reason for double the amount of tags? Definitely more sheep. Um, uh, the the east side of 46B East, you know, you have the three mountain ranges, so it lets you. The Mohawks have a pretty good population of sheep, and even though you only have a small portion of it, typically in December, there's some fair number of sheep at that south end uh, so that that's always a good spot um, the pintas have resident sheep that that mountain range is pretty close to 30 miles long and it's basically just a spine there's a good population of sheep it's just hard to hunt 
so I, I'm thinking they're they're wanting people to to spend some time and and get into that country that normally typically doesn't get hunted. There's no access vehicular wise to the east side of the Sierra Pintas. All the access is off the west side, and then you would have to walk through passes to get through, which uh, eliminates you know, a lot of people. Exactly. Correct. Now, B West has probably the highest population of all of those those four units of sheep. Uh, a bigger mountain range, um, actually two mountains with the, with the tules. There hasn't been a whole lot of sheep killed in the tules. Those sheep, it's a matter of finding them on the U.S. side versus the Mexico side uh, during the season. You know, you can go scout and see quite a few sheep in the in the tules. But then come season, they've all moved because, A, their food source or whatever has moved or changed, and now those sheep are not in the U.S. They're on the Mexico side. So the majority of the people hunt the Cabeza Prietas, and there's a good population of sheep there and some good older age class rams. It's just hard to access. Like I said, there's no, no road structure that you can get into that you can drive. Um, to let you access the interior of that mountain. Okay, a question that's popped up in my mind is in in 46A and in 46B is a Cabeza Prieta um, pass or permit required by all hunters? I mean, does everybody have to check in in order to hunt there? Everybody has to get a uh, special use permit. Uh, and it can include your your helpers that are helping you. As a guide, I have to have a special use permit. The hunter has to have a special use permit. And then they would also have their helpers named on their use permits. But there is only certain places you can camp on the refuge. There's only certain places you can camp with livestock on the refuge. Also, if you take livestock, you cannot, you have to haul your own water. You cannot water your animals at any drinker designated for wildlife. Um, you're not supposed to. So you either need to carry all your water with you for your livestock, uh, which is very difficult, or you need to carry it on your person or have stashed water to be able to hunt that stuff. And it's just so far to get in there that it uh, detours a lot of people. You know, and then getting all your stuff back out with your ram. Um, so a lot of people don't don't venture to the interior of that stuff. Yeah, it makes sense. I just wanted to go over a few numbers here. I think I mentioned in 46A uh, East, um, but I don't think I talked about 46A West actually is a 1 in 32. There's two tags, 64 applicants last year. It's a 1 in 32 uh, uh 46B East uh, is a 1 in 41. There's four tags. And uh, 46B West is a 1 in 83. There's uh, four tags. I believe there was 333 uh, first choice applicants last year. Uh, it, it, as far as numbers of sheep, it sounds like you would rank 46B West as 1, 46B East as 2, and then how would the east or west side of 46A, which one would you think has more sheep? I would say 
A East, the Growlers would have the next number, and then last would be the Awadolsis and uh, Granites in 46 A West. Okay. And then the um, horn configuration of a lot of those Cabeza Prieta rams, do they have any distinguishing you know, characteristic that you see a lot of rams down there have? They're, they're typically the typical Mexicana, relatively tight-curled rams, don't drop real low, but a lot of the rams, the older age-class rams, have come up and tip out up over the bridge of the nose. So it's kind of a classic-looking desert bighorn. Um, there are a few rams that are low-dropped and wide down there, but very few, very few. The typical deals tight and up over the bridge of the nose and carrying a fair amount of mass. So they're really neat-looking sheep. And the bases, you know, say on an 8-plus-year-old ram, normally what, what kind of bases are you going to have there? I would like to, you know, typically 15 inches is about an average base. You know, from 14.6 to, to 15.2, something like that, 15 and a quarter. Um, but I usually use 15 inches as a as a guideline when I'm judging sheep as far, you know, if it's an older age class ram, he's more than likely going to have 15 inch plus bases. So, but it's hard to give them 15 and a half, you know, unless he just really looks big, but the uh, majority of the sheep are in that 15 inch range. Greg, let's talk a little um, field judging here since I've got you on the line. Uh, and what do you think is some of the biggest mistakes people make uh, when judging rams as far as, you know, just general mistakes that, or things that people really need to consider and think about um, when, when field judging sheep? Well, I think with, with sheep hunting only, or you can only harvest one desert sheep in your lifetime in Arizona. So nobody has any experience, or very few people have experience in judging or handling and actually knowing what that ram scores it's easy to say that ram scores 170 inches when he's over there on the mountain but until you go and kill that ram and physically measure him he could be 155 or it could be 185 you don't know you know you it just comes with experience so if you get a tag and you don't have a lot of experience look at every sheep you possibly can that's mounted at a taxidermist where you can physically put a tape measure on them and and find out what they score. They are relatively difficult to judge. Uh, they're not as hard as an antelope, which I think are the, the most difficult, but uh, it just comes with experience, uh, handling a lot of sheep and knowing what they score, you know. Being able to physically measure them is huge. A lot of people, you know, all sheep look big from the back when they're walking away. Um, you ha I think you need to get all different looks. You need to look from the front. You need to look from the side. You need to look from the back. You have to get all views to be able to get a solid basis to judge how big that sheep is and how well he's carrying his mass. I think you... Um mentioned something there that I think is super important too is is when you draw uh, you know we've talked about it before on this podcast when you draw a, a, a bighorn sheep tag 
and you need to really study the the unit that you're hunting and specifically try and get as many base measurements and length measurements as you can and and all of the measurements so that you can you know try and match up a picture with all of the scores and but how important is knowing your base measurement so you have a you know quote unquote baseline to start with uh, because mass is you know over 60% of your score is mass. How important is it to nail your bases? Uh, you know, and, and if you miss, how, how devastating can that be? Well, I mean, the base is where it all starts. Everything is based off of that coming around. So if you're starting with a 13 and a half inch base, even though you carry your mass, you didn't start with very big bases. You're starting two inches behind the curve already from a 15-inch base or an inch and a half off. And that's going to continue all the way around on your all your quarter measurements. Uh, bases are, are huge as far as being able to judge them accurately and to get an accurate score on your on your sheet. What do you look my, for for a mature, from a maturity aspect of, of body, what do you look for when you're looking at sheep, what determines if it's an older age, you know, say eight-year-old or, or, or older mature ram when you're looking strictly at body? You know, and, and that's another thing. It, it, you need to look at a lot of sheep, uh, but they get the older rams get real pot-bellied. They get sway-backed. Their butt gets kind of dished in. Uh, the white butt patch gets dingy in color it's not bright vibrant white it gets a little yellowish or brownish there um, those ram older rams are like you or me especially me you know we get pot bellied our joints start to hurt we don't want to be climbing up there on the top of the mountain real rough stuff a lot of those older age class rams are on the bottom portion of the mountain they spend a lot of time on the desert floor um, so you need to spend, you need to get a little bit of elevation to where you can see that bottom quarter of the mountain because when you're on the desert floor looking at that stuff, your vegetation, your Palo Verdes, Ocotillas and stuff are blocking that bottom portion of the, the mountain and you miss a lot of sheep. Uh, the vegetation and feed is so poor down there that they have to come out on the desert floor in those washes to get better feed. And then they go back up the mountain to bed. But, uh, you know, everybody wants to look up. You think sheep, and they're in the rugged, rocky, nastiest stuff. And that's where a lot of the ewes and stuff live for protection for their lambs. But those older age class rams, they only go there for the rut. And once the rut's over, they don't want to be up in that stuff. It's hard for them to get around. So they want to be on that lower portion majority of the time. That's, in my opinion. Yeah, that's really good stuff there. Um, jumping back to the Cabeza Prieta, when the, the hunt is December 1st through the 31st, um, do you, is it n normal to see some headbutting and see some rams kind of with ewes and kind of nosing around with ewes? Or typically during those hunts are the rams by themselves or with other rams? What What is on a normal, you know, normally what are you seeing throughout that month of December? You know, and I, I've seen both. I've seen rams with ewes, 
and I've seen ram bands, uh, rams by themselves. It runs the gauntlet of, of uh, all of that. Majority of the time, it's two or three rams together of similar age class and similar horn size uh, running together. And then, you know, the ewes and lambs will majority of the time be together in little groups, five or six, and up in the higher, more rugged country where they have a little more protection from the predators. But, uh, you know, if there's a, a, a ewe that comes into estrus late, didn't get bred, you know, those rams, they just stack up there. We had uh, in 46B in 2013, B West, uh, in 2013, we had a group of nine rams that were with a estrus U, and they were just head-buttoned to beat heck. I mean, all day those rams were just button heads, kicking each other, posturing, chasing that U up and down the mountain all over. It was nonstop. Um, so, you know, it, they could be together, they could be with the ewes, they could be by themselves. There's no rhyme or reason to it. Okay. Um, Greg, I, I want to, um, take a little break from talking about the Cabeza Prieta here, and I want to just kind of shotgun through, uh, a lot of units, uh, in the state of Arizona and get, um, just kind of some initial thoughts that come to your head. You know, mountain ranges, any experiences you've had, whether the units, you know, going up, going down, you know, things you've heard. And, and you know, if, if we get to a unit and you just, you know, have a skip it, you know, just say skip it. Um, but I think talking to a person like you that's hunted in most of these units, um, you know, mention whether, you know, something's, you know, super rugged or pretty easy to hunt or quite a few sheep or you know, a sleeper ram every now and then, just anything that comes to your mind. Do you mind doing a little shotgun here with me? No, no, that's fine. Okay, that's let's, fine. let's talk about Unit 10, um, Cataract Canyon, 9 and 10. Yeah. Tough. Uh, access is very tough. Very, for the most part, very few sheep. So that could be a really tough hunt. They, they have killed some decent rams, though. And if you can get down into the canyon and stay down there, to let you access more of that stuff that you can't see from above, there's a chance that you can kill a, a decent ram. Um, but the majority of the rams are relatively small. And those rams move Upper in and out of the background. Grand Canyon Park, right? They go into the Supai and the, and the park, yes. Okay. Supai Reservation. Okay, 12A, 12A and 12B West. I don't know anything about it. Never hunted it. Okay, 12B East. Never hunted it. Okay. 13A. 13A uh, south can be extremely tough going into the park. A lot of those those sheep move into the park. That's why um, they moved that hunt a little bit earlier, I think, to try to catch some of those rams still up on there. It is extremely difficult to access um, and very, very low sheep numbers. Okay, 13B North. 13B North has some good rams in it. Uh, can be a little bit difficult to access, but there's some really good sheep there. Population's not super high, but pretty good population of sheep. 
That's the Virgin River Gorge. Um, okay, 13, yeah. 13B South. Don't know anything about it. 15B West. Used to be one of the best units in the state, but the population is really low. It's starting to come back. Uh, all of those 15s, there's been a pneumonia outbreak. Um, relatively low numbers of sheep now and relatively small sheep. Uh, even though, you know, it's a Nelson, which are typically smaller than the, the Mexicana on the average, but uh, rams in the 140s, low 150s is the norm there now. Okay, 15C North and 15C South, those are all now one tag units. <clears throat> and and mainly because of the pneumonia outbreak, um, you know, it's it's going to be tough to find a Class 4 ram even in that country. 15D. I don't, I've never hunted 15D, don't know anything about it, other than there's typically lots of sheep, but they're dealing with the pneumonia outbreak. 16A. 16A, uh, extremely large unit, four or five different mountain ranges in there. There's the rawhides, the uh, Mojave. Mojaves, uh, the blacks, or the little blacks, uh, there's another one I can't think of the name of. Uh, sheep are extremely scattered. Uh, can be very difficult. The unit's so big you can't, you need to kind of commit to one mountain range, kind of, uh, just because it's so big. It's you, You'll spend three or four hours driving to the other side to go, go hunt a mountain range. So, you, you know, if you're going over there, you need to go and stay for a few days. It can be tough to to get around just because it's so big and vast and relatively no low number of sheep 18b don't know anything about it it's a transplant unit um fair number of sheep but not not a lot i think access can be a, a little bit difficult uh but uh i don't know 16b 16B is a very small unit uh, between the highway and the river. Uh, I think that's Highway 95 yep. there, um, Parker and Havasu and that stuff. Uh, typically produces a relatively small sheep, small-based, tight-curled rams. Um, they've killed one or two rams in the low to mid-60s, but for the most part, uh, a 150-type unit. Okay, now we're going to get into some also of the a national refuge in there, uh, which can pose some issues getting it for access. Also, now we're going to get into some of the Mexicana units. Uh, unit 22, I know, is pretty dear to your heart. <laughs> yeah, the the Holy Grail. You know, uh, <laughs> we all love that unit. <laughs> uh, you know, I still think there's some some good rams there. Uh, Everybody gets kind of tied to the lake. I would definitely look, you know, there was some transplant sheep over in the Matazels. Nobody's ever looked at that stuff over there. There's no telling what could be over there. And I've made the same, you know, when I had hunters there, I never went there because it was easy to go to the lake and easy to see a lot of sheep. But uh, 
accessing that Matazel stuff, that Lion Mountain, uh, where they transplanted those sheep, there could be a sleeper over there. Don't know. Be worth looking at. 24B Wilderness. Uh, access is obviously an issue. Uh, very good road structure. It's just going to be a lot of foot walking or livestock if you want to use livestock. Um, I think the potential there for a giant is very good. Very good. Same with 24B North and, and South, both of those. All those superstition units. There's no telling what could come walking out of that place at any time. That's you know, for sure. Yep. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. 30, 31, 32, Aravipa. Traditionally been very, very good. It seems to be coming back a little bit. Uh, they've done a fair amount of predation control over there on the lions. Um, it's been good. It's coming back. Quite a few sheep coming in there now. 37A. Uh, Silverbells has a, a very high, high sheep population. A little bit of inbreeding going there because it's kind of an isolated uh, range. The, the sheep do cross back and forth into the, the Papago Reservation a little bit, um, the Tahotam Odom Reservation, but uh, potential for, you know, mid-70s type ram is definitely there. I think they split that season this year. Yeah, there's and two, two hunts, yeah. I think yeah. There's, there's two and two, uh, first hunt and second hunt, oh, two, and two, two? Tag, two tags in each. Uh, 37B. Yeah. Transplant herd, the genetics are from 22 and 24B. Uh, I think that's going to be an up-and-coming unit. They don't have the water that uh, the lake units do or the river units, but uh, the genetics are there, the genes are there. Give them some time, could produce a giant. 39 East. Always been... A very smaller ram unit, uh, 40s and 50s type rams. Uh, access would become an issue with, with all that becoming wilderness. Uh, a relatively low population of sheep, but uh, I think upper end would be low 160, maybe mid 160 type rams out of there. 39 West. 39 West has been uh, has some good rams. Access can be an issue. There's some wilderness areas there, but uh, can't be overcome. I've hunted that. We've killed some good rams. Uh, potential there. Biggest ram ever killed in the units right at 177. Killed a few years ago. Uh, but some, some good rams. Don't be afraid of it. 40A. 48, you have some illegal issues, uh, but the potential, and, and another issue is the military on the gunnery range. Uh, some of that area is, is live fire stuff, so you're closed off from that. The biggest thing would be the illegal issue, but something that always intrigues you or intrigues me is with the Tohotam Reservation right there, uh, you never know what's going to come off of there. So the potential for a giant is huge. Yeah, I think we saw that, what, two years ago, and they shot a couple high 170s, Correct. 180 type rams. Yep, um, exactly. 40B Helas. Helas have always been a tough unit. It's a, it's a 
big long spine running south interstate eight uh extremely rugged mountain range access is pretty good uh road structure there is some some military issues but it's minor uh, potential low to mid 60s i'd say fairly the sheep population has been increasing there 40 b mohawks population is i don't know if the population the quality has gone down a little bit uh, a few years ago five to seven years ago there were everybody was killing upper 60s low 70s type rams that has kind of gone away now uh Upper 50s, low 60s is what they seem to be harvesting the most of. Uh, a sleeper deal that needs to be looked at is the coppers, which is in that unit, um, just a giant boulder pile. And access is a little bit tougher for the majority of it, harder to get into. Um, but I think the potential is there to kill a good ram. 40B Tanaha Altus. Used to be one of the worst units in the state, and it has come on strong, increasing population. Uh, they've killed some really good rams, mid to upper 170s the last couple of years. I think those sheep are pretty nomadic as far as traveling back and forth to Mexico. Uh, so it just depends if you can catch them north of the border. 41 East. 41 East used to have a pretty good population. It, it had a big die-off or whatever the population crashed uh, is coming back. A lot of the younger rams, um, I think right now, low to mid 60s is your upper end, unless you can really get lucky and find a, an older age class ram that uh, has kind of been off the radar there. 41 West. Never hunted 41 West, but I know they killed a giant there this year with Clay Goldman. Um, I know another guy that hunted it this past year and, and struggled a little bit um, finding any big rams. Did see some rams in kind of some off-the-wall places that uh, don't get looked at very often, so that was encouraging. Um, just another big, big unit with several different mountain ranges to look at, lots of country to look at. 42. Don't know anything about it. Never hunted it, never spent any time there. 43A. 43A. You're familiar with that one, being <laughs> the oxen ram was killed, but but uh, that was kind of the exception. Typically, that was a smaller ram unit, but uh, last couple of years, they've killed a couple of really nice rams there. So uh, I think that population's increasing a little bit. Uh, they do spend some time on the reservation, but... Uh, not a bad unit. 43B. Really increasing population. Um, what is there, seven tags there or something? Well, there it's, there's uh, five now, but there was seven. Yeah. It, uh, uh, lots of countries, several different mountain ranges again. Uh, pretty good access all the way through that. Some issues to contend with are the Yuma Proving Ground. Uh, which just requires some, some permits and stuff. Some of the uh, area is locked up for from the military that you cannot access uh, vehicular or even walking. So, uh, But they've killed some really good rams there. 
I think the best ram they killed last year was right at 170. Um, biggest ram that I know of killed there is 178. So the potential there to kill a giant. 44A East. Don't know a lot about it. Uh, transplant herd seems to be slowly increasing in numbers. Um, I think access can be an issue. There's some wilderness there also. I know some guys that have seen some good rams, but um, when they're seeing them is not in December, and I don't know if those rams are there in December. I don't know where they would be going if they're not there, but uh, potential's there to kill a pretty good ram. Obviously, 44A uh, West, they've shut that hunt down. Uh, 44B yeah, North. Yeah, closed. 44B North, the Plumosis. Yeah, that's always been a, a good unit, always had a good population of sheep, probably one of the easiest units to access. Uh, extremely good road structure, can get around anywhere in that unit with a quad or a side-by-side or even a pickup. Um, it's like the country club. Very good population sheep of sheep. Do what? It's like the country club of desert sheep hunting. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, quality seems to have gone down a little bit. I think they were har harvesting too many rams. I think uh, four permits is pretty high there. Uh, they were also using that as a transplant base to remove sheep from. Um, but upper 60s, low 70s type rams typically available there. 44B South, New Waters. New Waters have done, uh, they've come on pretty strong the last couple of years. They killed a really big ram there last year in the 178 range. Uh, good population of sheep. Access, not terrible. There is some wilderness, uh, but for the most part, a pretty good road structure to get around. 45A. I've never hunted any of the Kofas, never spent any time there. Traditionally, 45A has been the big sheep mecca. Uh, highest population of sheep used to be. Uh, that's what they were using as a transplant base for, you know, Aravipa. The 22 sheep, the 24 sheep all came out of the Kofa and the Plumosas both. But uh, big lion issue. They had a big die-off. Definitely coming back. Uh, seems like mid-60s is definitely doable now. Maybe a touch better. You hunted hard. Okay, we've obviously talked about 46A East, 46A West, 46B East, 46B West. Um, let's talk about Rockies real fast. Um, one in 27. Probably the one in 27. That's the Black River. Uh, they killed a giant last year. A really, a relatively young ram. Um, that herd got hurt pretty hard with the the Wallow Fire in 2011, transplanted some sheep out of the uh, Morency Mine, just to the south there. Uh, they seem to be doing extremely well. Um, I think the fire helped that unit as far as most of the sheep are in the Black River Canyon itself. The north, uh, the south side of the river, which was the north face, was always very timbered, hard to see into, and now it's opened up a lot of that stuff. It's a lot more visible. I think the sheep will utilize it a lot more, feel safer. They can see a little bit. 
uh, I think that's going to be a big up-and-comer here in the next few years for uh, and probably see some tag increases. And uh, I think that's going to be a good unit coming on. I'm looking at the measurements of that 190 that they killed last year. <laughs> 41 and 7 eighths and 41 and 5 eighths with 16 and, 16 and 6 bases. That was a giant. Yeah. Yeah. And he's only seven years old. Yeah. That's incredible. So, you know, six unbelievable. A, 6A, 22 North. Don't know a whole lot about it. I hope to this year. Um, You're hoping that's your... That's probably that's putting your, in. Yeah. <laughs> Hoping they yep, call Greg Coons' name. <laughs> I do, too. Do you have Max, by the way? Uh, yes, I do. Okay. Yes. So there's only 84 residents with Max Points, and uh, it's never broken down Rockies to deserts, but there can't be 30, 35 people applying for Rockies. So one yeah. of these days. You got a pretty good uh, shot. But they've been, they've been killing some fantastic rams out of their 182-183 rams killed last year. Um, I think there's some country that may not be looked at very much uh, that may harbor some some big rams. Uh, I think the potential there to kill a really good ram. For sure. It's nice to see that herd, too. Finally, you know, they're killing rams that aren't ear-tagged rams. They're killing rams that have, you know, yes. bor- born and raised, lived in the unit, you know, born in the unit and di- died in the unit. Uh, 2324A. Uh, that's a real small herd of sheep over there, Black Mesa, right there on the Salt River. Um, kind of surprised that it's struggling. I mean, that's some fantastic sheep country right there. Uh those sheep are fairly nomadic. They do go back over to the Tano, uh, around that Gaisila country north of there, Hell's Hole, some of that stuff. Um, I think uh, for ram quality, 160, maybe 170 at the most. 27 north. 27 north is always going to be one of your better sheep units. Uh, country is fantastic it's hard to access a little bit of wilderness area in there but it's just hard to get around into uh that was always the core sheep area there used to be a fantastic population of sheep it's kind of gone down a little bit now that they've they've split that unit or not split the unit but split the season i think that's going to help a lot so you don't have what is there five tags there yep. you don't have as many guys on top of each other all at one time kind of splits them up a little bit but uh you know they killed a 187 out of there this year uh i think the potential there it will always be there to kill a 180 plus rocky there 27 28 to finish up our shotgun and there again, I think uh, relatively low population of sheep. Access is an issue. A lot of wilderness, hard country to access. Um, but adjacent to that Turkey Creek country in New Mexico, the, the sheep do go back and forth. You never know what you're going to find. It's going to come walking out of that stuff. You know, I mean, that could be the next state record comes walking out of that. You know, Marvin James killed that ram mid 180s. Uh, Richie Hogan killed a mid-180s ram there. Uh, the potential there for a giant. 
Well, that sums up the units. Um, I really appreciate you spending time with us, uh, sh you know, sharing your expertise and your knowledge um, on the whole state as well as the Cabeza Prieta. Um, you're known as Mr. Cabeza Prieta, so um, I wanted to have you on. I, I get a lot of people asking about those units, and I thought you were the perfect person to talk about that uh, with. And, um, you know, you've, you've shot, been on a lot of ram harvests in the state of Arizona. What did you say, 60, 69? 69 rams, yeah. 69 rams, and you've guided in most of the units, and you've taken auction hunters and raffle hunters and all sorts of stuff. Um you know, it's just a, in, incredible to be able to um, pick your brain about sheep. And I know I've, over the years, I've showed a, a lot of videos to you to get your opinion. And you're certainly, um, if, if, if I've got a question on a ram, I love getting your opinion, you, you know, your gut instinct. Um, and that that's where I want to finish. Um, people that draw sheep tags, you know, a lot of them maybe not into the animal, but, but I highly encourage them to dive in with both feet. And how how important is gut instinct and, you know, having a few people that you can bounce, you know, a video or a picture of a ram off of because they can be so deceiving. How how important is that gut instinct um, to feel judging? I think it's huge, sheep? you know, it's it, uh, and having having uh, people that have hunted sheep and have a little bit of a sheep experience uh, I think is huge in helping you with your hunt a lot of people everybody wants to go on a sheep hunt and everybody says oh I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'll be there for you you know but come December uh, it's getting close to Christmas you know I got to get the Christmas lights up and uh, it's hard for people to get away when it's not their tag their wives have issues with that when it's not their tag you know and um, it's hard to get dependable people and especially dependable people that have sheep experience um, so if you have somebody that you can spend time with scouting uh, that I think the sheep society is a valuable valuable resource that is underutilized uh, I think the sheep clinic is a phenomenal basis for knowledge and information highly recommend attending that if you draw a sheep tag uh, in my opinion it should be mandatory that it that you attend that uh, we need to start harvesting these older age class rams let the younger rams do the breeding get uh, uh, get some age on them we shouldn't be shooting rams in the 120s 130s uh, we do that every year, and beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I understand that, uh, but let the animal grow up, mature, and and uh, be a benefit to the herd. And let's harvest the older rams that have have been there and done that, and don't have much time left on the mountain, and are just going to die a slow, lingering death. Uh, and their horns would never be recognized; they just wither away out there on the on the on the mountain where you know if they're harvested by a hunter they're appreciated every day and looked at and all the memories come back from that hunt the good times the bad times the sore muscles uh the struggles but it's a it's a very very rewarding time and it should be used to the the best of its ability or best of your ability to uh 
enjoy that. And, you know, people, people struggle taking off, you know, a week or two weeks at a time to go hunt, but they do it for elk hunts and they do it for coos deer hunts. And, but they can only hunt the weekends when they get a sheep tag, you know, and that just doesn't seem right to me, but it's their tag, it's their hunt. And if that's all they want out of it, but I sure like to see people that get a little more enthusiastic about it and, uh, uh, put a lot of effort into it because you only get to do it once. That's for sure. And, you know, it's amazing how many people kill on the first day. And it, I think there's a difference between people that kill on the first day that have done a bunch of scouting. They've got their ram picked out and, you know, they, they harvest their ram. And then there's people that just go down and all the people that said, oh, you drew a sheep tag. Oh, I'll be there to help. I think you bring up a good point. I'm going to say 90% of those people that tell you when you draw in July that they're going to be there for your hunt, they never come <laughs> scouting and they never come on the hunt. So don't count on exactly. them at all. That's been my experience. Yep. And yep, then exactly. they get down there and they're, you know, they're overwhelmed with the country and they're, you know, by themselves or have one other person with them. And they see the first, you know, the ram, first ram they see and they feel like, oh, we're not going to get one and Christmas is coming and. A lot of people yep. shoot, shoot too early. Um, yep, that's for sure. That's sorry. for sure. Well, Greg, it's been awesome having what? you on the podcast here. Go ahead. Once you pull that trigger, you're done. Yeah. You know, you don't get to ever take that back or, or have another opportunity in Arizona to kill a desert unless you're buying the auction tag. Um, so do your homework, do your research talk to everybody that has ever seen a sheep and get information from them. be a sponge gather all the information you can and and enjoy that experience because it's uh something that doesn't come around a lot a lot i know a lot of people that have passed away without ever having the opportunity to hunt sheep that have spent a lot of time building water holes guiding other people uh but just could never draw a tag for themselves so Enjoy that opportunity. Um, enjoy it. That's all yeah, I can say. Sure. One last thing that just popped in my mind that you bring up a good point, and, and that's about when you draw a tag. Obviously, I'm an, uh, I guide for sheep. You guide for sheep. How important is it to you in your mind that people really consider, one, hiring a guide, and if they are going to hire a guide, they really do their homework and choose the right guide for them. How important is that in your mind? Oh, I think it's huge. You know, uh, uh, you know, if you're a lot of people wait a lifetime to draw this tag, so we get to be late 50s, 60s, even 70 years old, we physically can't go like we used to. Well, if you hire somebody that's 25 years old, go get a real ambitious. Uh, it don't do them no good to get there and not have their hunter with them. You know, they have to pace themselves to your abilities and do your homework. Talk to a lot of people, references, if you're looking to hire a guide. Um, you know, it's, it's somebody that you're going to spend a fair amount of time on the side of the mountain with that, uh, that, uh, and that's going to share your once in a lifetime experience with you. And some of these guides, they're just there to, to get a sheep killed and go to the next one. 
go go get another hunter and and go harvest another one it doesn't matter that they're you're only shooting a, a 140 ram or whatever you know but a lot of these guides there's quite a few of the guides that they hunt that tag as if it was their own and they take it very personal they put a huge amount of effort into it do whatever it takes to get you there as the hunter to be able to harvest that ram and make the overall experience much more enjoyable so uh, if you're looking to hire a guide do your research talk to a lot of people uh, references are huge meet with the people don't just talk to them on the phone go have lunch with them you know and and get to know that person a little bit before you decide that's the person i'm going to hire well, I think that's great advice. Great advice. Greg, it's been awesome having you on here. I want to give you a chance um, that people can get a hold of you uh, before this uh, draw deadline here coming up uh, and uh, how, how they can uh, reach you. Uh, my company name is High Desert Outfitters. been guiding since 1987. Uh, my cell number is 602 540 nine four four six or my email address is sheep hunts for you with no you and hunts so it's s h e e p h n t s the number four the letter u at aol.com so always willing to talk sheep hunting always have time for it uh as jay knows because he was always sending me stuff and <laughs> <laughs> interrupting work. in the middle but of a job nothing else. i exactly. sent over a picture and he's like i'm right in the middle of a job and then i send him the picture he's like hang on i got a second yeah what is that <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but uh uh you know willing to talk to you before and after uh help you with you know uh, units to apply or once you draw the tag would love to talk to you about guiding you or just giving you information. Even if you're not going to hire an outfitter and you're just looking for information. If I've hunted it, I'll help you however I can. So. That's awesome, buddy. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for sharing with us. I know you've got a busy schedule this weekend of work and um, congratulate you on the success you've had, not only in your sheep hunting career and your guiding, but your successful contracting business. And I Highly encourage anyone out there that wants to go on a great sheep hunt to give Greg a call. And, and for sure, uh, anybody that is looking for any type of remodeling work or any type of con uh, construction work where they need a general contractor, uh, Greg is, is a phenomenal person uh, and very skilled. Uh, and I, I don't say that about everybody. And I just appreciate you spending time here with us and admire uh, the man that you are and, and the, the things that you do and how you, how you, uh, you know, carry yourself and treat others and, uh, just appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, I've been wanting to have you on the podcast for a long time and I'm glad we were finally yeah. able to make it happen. Yeah. I've been a little resistant, uh, uh, but I, I've enjoyed it and, uh, I'm glad I did it. And, uh, thank you for all the kind words and, uh, good luck to everybody in the draw. All right, buddy. Sounds good. God bless and take okay. care, okay? You too. Thank you, Jake. All right. All right. Bye.